0: This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast.
1: Welcome to another episode of AMI Audio Live's coverage of the 2020 Zero Project Conference. My name is Andy Frank. The Zero Project, an initiative of the Essel Foundation, focuses on the rights of persons with disabilities globally. It provides a platform where the most innovative and effective solutions to problems facing persons with disabilities are shared. Its sole objective is to assist in creating a world without barriers, zero barriers, based on the articles of the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. Zero Project's annual conference, held at the UN Building in Vienna, celebrates these solutions with awards. You can learn more about Zero Project at zeroproject.com. Dot org. The theme of the 2020 conference was education, and today you'll hear from some people that are making a difference at the university level. Let's meet our first guests.
0: Rushan Khalfan, and I'm from University of Cape Town. and we're part, I'm part of a research group that's called Inclusive Practices Africa.
2: I'm Harsha Kathod, also from University of Cape Town, South Africa. We're from Inclusive Practices Africa Project, uh, and my background is speech therapy and audiology.
3: Teresa Lorenzo, from University of Cape Town. I I am an occupational therapist, but very um, passionate about community-based inclusive development and training community workers.
1: What problem was the University of Cape Town targeting?
2: Our program started uh, as a response to the exclusion of people with disability internationally uh, and particularly in Africa. Uh, so many years ago, about 12 years ago, we established a disability studies program, particularly to look at Inclusion. So although people often look at disability in terms of impairment, like what is wrong with you, uh, we were more interested in how can people with disability be included in an equal way uh, in all aspects of society. Uh, and what we were finding was that uh, disability was invisible, It was not known, uh, inclusion wasn't spoken about either in practice or in law, and so the program was there to really start to think about it in a critical way uh, through doing teaching
3: and research. Having very poor education systems for black people and uh, very little provision for black disabled people or children in South Africa, um, we looked, we partnered with Leeds University in the UK and their Centre for Disability Studies and use recognition of prior learning to enable previously disadvantaged people, particularly black South Africans and disabled South Africans, to get onto the program.
0: While we were focused on people with disability, as Teresa says, it's also, you know, the people who didn't have access are so mostly black black um, South Africans and people who are living in poverty. So our interest over time has also been around marginalization and thinking about how this work actually can include um, all people who are marginalized in South Africa
2: part of our response in terms of inclusive practices africa is yes to look at disability inclusion but to look at it in a far more contextualized way so to look at marginalization across race gender disability in looking at the actions that we need to take Uh, so i think our approach is different in that way in that although disability inclusion is important it's uh, it's a
3: way or point of entry into looking at inclusion more broadly. Universities don't really cater for disabled people in a way that um, allows their full participation. And it was interesting when the program started that uh, even our own Faculty of Health Sciences thought it was going to be a special program for disabled people. So it's really looking at how disabilities integrated into curricula across all disciplines and faculties, so not on a disabled person or disabled staff members, but what are we teaching, what are we researching.
1: And that's where change comes in. And that's never easy.
3: So our
0: work, while we're wanting to make a change in, um, outside of the university, in society more broadly, we've had to look at what what is the work that the university needs to do. Right. And so we see our work as both working for change outside of the university and bringing change within the university. And that systemic change within the university has been we we found a lot of... Um, Hard work that needs still to be done, um, and some of that has been also realizing how psychosocial disability sits on the margins within the disability field, um, and recognizing that for our students with the increase in challenges that they face, that actually psychosocial, the prevalence of psychosocial disability is on the rise, and that that is something that we are needing to respond to, and so one of the um, areas that we've become involved in is actually looking at how do we address within the university the kind of psychosocial concerns that our students face and not only because of individual you know, impairments that they might have but actually because of the university culture and environment. Maybe just to talk more about the university
2: space. So if we think about inclusive education, which is the focus of this conference, uh, we're looking at inclusion in higher education. So many of the topics here were, for example, at uh, pre-primary level or at primary school level, we're looking at higher education. Um, And part of our struggle is that the curriculum for higher education has not considered disability. Uh, So if you think about professional training across teachers, lawyers, doctors, engineers, architects, um, disability is not presented or represented in their curriculum. And this goes back to the fundamentals of how professions form and what their interest is. Uh, And really their interest has been in serving able-bodied people. And even though people don't think about it like that, if you go into the assumptions that professions make about their work, you'll see the evidence of being, the assumption is that they serve able-bodied people. And so to change a curriculum like that is difficult, I think, as we've said. Uh, But any organization needs to change through the work that it does every day. So we do teaching and learning every day. And so how we teach and learn every day must become disability inclusive. So what we teach, how we teach, who teaches, who is admitted as a student, all of that needs to change. So that's when we talk about curriculum change, we talk about it in a very comprehensive way to say in our everyday work, how will universities become inclusive, inclusive of of black people, inclusive of women, inclusive of all the marginalized populations. And so that's the kind of work that this project represents. Um, And it isn't easy, but I think it's worthwhile because long-term sustainability of higher education is about inclusivity.
1: Part of the Disability Studies Program at the University of Cape Town allows students to study tools to monitor disability inclusion in society.
3: Within the postgraduate diploma, we have a course on monitoring disability in society and it's really looking at factors that influence participation and inclusion. A lot of focus is often on physical accessibility, which is important in terms of the natural environment and built environment, but it's also in terms of people's attitudes to disability and um, the, the stigma and prejudice that people can experience. And then the other aspect is around is information and communication accessible to all. The focus is often on activities and services, but it's looking broader at is transport available, are they able to, the the financial aspects. So even if a system is accessible because of the high levels of poverty, it uh, often excludes people. And uh, our programs are interdisciplinary, so students are often part-time and they um, monitor things within their own workplaces or organisations and communities.
0: And I think the, what, what we find, you asked what we're finding is that we're finding that there's still a huge need for raising awareness around disability and for people to think creatively about how inclusion is possible when resources are limited <laughs> but that it is possible to actually make those changes.
2: So uh, part of our work, uh, as we said, is engaging conversations around disability inclusion. And um, just in talking with people in general, when, even when you talk about disability itself, the, it's a term that is not really understood. Uh, it's equated often to impairment. And I guess the, tri- the change we're trying to make here or the shift we're trying to achieve is that not to think about the impairment and the deficit but what potential has the person got to develop skills and to become active in society. And I think what we're seeing now is a shift that is very encouraging, especially at the conference, uh, because it is showing what can be done with little resource, but that actually it's a change of mindset that makes the difference. And how we get that to happen is, is kind of the difficult part, but it's a prerequisite for all the other kinds of changes that happen. And I think from the programs that we've seen, it's when that happens, the culture of the entire environment starts to change. Uh, and it actually becomes far more connected to human beings as people uh, that are valued. Uh, and that's really, I think, the the intention of the project.
1: Do you think it's more important for universities to lead that type of change of awareness than government or than business or so on?
2: I think everyone has a role. Yes. <laughs> so I think universities play a role, but I think it's a collective. Uh, my sense is that the leadership must get involved uh, because without the leadership, people on the ground do struggle uh, to change the minds of leaders Uh, but if leadership is involved then we do see uh, the actions uh, that I think are far more sustainable
3: I'm of the view that higher education gets off the hook too easily and it's left to government and uh, business more recently but if we were To get every graduate thinking about disability inclusion and knowing why it's relevant to them, and it's not just a matter for health professionals or social workers. When they go into their workplace, then you would see a change. I also think the other aspect is focusing on what policies are there and what are the policies saying, and how do they include or exclude um, disability in that sense because I think even any organization may have a good policy but the implementation of it is often not um, followed through
1: you were recognized by uh, the Zero project um, how did that make you feel and what has been your experience here among these incredibly motivated, driven passionate people that you are surrounded by here you know yeah, for the last couple of days?
0: It's been inspiring to, to be recognised in this way because uh, these sometimes the kinds of practices that one's involved with with disability inclusion doesn't get the recognition that it deserves. Um, so so this has been really inspiring to be to be recognised, and then to to hear the different work that's been done also just opens up one's mind to what more is possible and how. Uh, collaborations are possible and so that's been really exciting to actually meet people and to see how we could uh, collaborate and support more. One of the things that was also very striking is how um, funding for this kind of work seems to be a challenge for so many projects and so that's also been uh, affirming because that's one of the challenges we faced and kind of wondered you know is this a particular challenge or is and so seeing how it affects people across different um, countries and doing different kinds of projects it's actually you know that there is a need for more funding in this area and hearing how people attract funding has been interesting.
2: Yeah, so um, we were very pleased to be considered as one of the inclusive practice projects, particularly because it's in higher education, and higher education is often not represented um, or as easily represented in this kind of forum. Um, again, I think being with the community of practice is. is very good because you find yourself engaging in many different kinds of debates around inclusion and how inclusive practices actually happen. And I think that's what this conference has been about. It's the translation of ideas into practice. And that's been very real and it's been incredibly um, uh, stimulating to kind of see how differently people can think and do around disability inclusion. From the funding side, I think um, uh, the sense that the business sector is now ready to get involved is very encouraging. And I guess if, if we have to think collectively about how we move this project forward, it's really that the business sector has to uh, contribute to this kind of change. And I think that kind of change benefits everyone in society, including the business sector. So investing in disability inclusion is actually um, an investment in society, and so I hope business comes to this party.
1: That was Harsha Cathard, Teresa Lorenzo, and Rashan Halvan of the University of Cape Town. They were recognized by the Zero Project for their contribution to the field of education at the Zero Project Conference in Vienna in 2020. Of course, you can learn more about them at zeroproject.org. Just look up the Innovative Practices 2020 and scroll down to South Africa. One of the most striking memories I took back with me to Canada after three days of being surrounded by over 80 awardees at the Zero Project conference was this. They came from around the world and from such a wide variety of institutions, and the challenges they were addressing were as unique as each individual was. But they shared one thing in common, the fierce passion, maybe even the stubbornness, to overcome barriers. There are a lot of smart people out there, but it's the will to get things done that truly sets people like the 2020 Zero Project awardees apart. One such individual was Kavita Murugar. She is one of five recipients from India.
4: Universal Design is about designing for all kinds of uh, diversity in terms of not just human uh, you know, beings, but all life forms. So to me, Universal Design is a life-centric design.
1: The Universal Design Center is one of 86 organizations which received awards at the Zero Project 2020 conference in Vienna. The theme, of course, of this year's conference was education. The Zero Project's mission is to support the implementation of the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities and to work for a world without barriers, hence the name Zero Project. And working for a world without barriers is exactly what our next guest is doing. So the problem that that you targeted was that architectural education in India has failed in your estimation to include universal design and accessibility in both the undergraduate and postgraduate curricula. So how did you go about trying to address this?
4: Yeah. So as a student uh, and later as an educator, uh, I uh, realized as a mother of a child with autism uh, that, you know, um, disability is absolutely, and uh, I wouldn't even say an afterthought in the entire design process. Uh, uh, the design process basically uh, focuses on designing for the average. And thus leaving out, you know, uh, the, the different types of diversities that you see in the user groups. And people with disabilities are the most marginalized. And uh, I believe that, uh, uh, you know, uh, disability is created by uh, social and environmental uh, barriers. And, uh, uh, you know, the person's impairment is uh, uh, is converted into a handicap when the person encounters uh, an inaccessible environment. And that becomes, uh, you know, the roadblock, the wall between the person's, uh, uh, you know, uh, ability to perform uh, ability to uh, e- uh, get educated to you know uh, his access to employment and thus his uh, you know a- uh, right to empowerment uh, and hence uh, you know uh, having a built environment accessible to people with disabilities is an uh, prerequisite to creating an inclusive and empowering uh, You know, kind of world. And that's why I decided to focus uh, on uh, looking at architectural education and design education and how it could be, uh, you know, uh, changed, a paradigm shift could be brought in it so that uh, instead of designing for the average, one could actually go with the model of designing for diversity so that nobody is left behind and, you know, everybody's needs and preferences are uh, looked into to create designs which work for all.
1: So how did you do this? Because this is such an uphill battle. You have, you've, you've got so many obstacles ahead of you. You had to start somewhere. So how did you do this?
4: Yeah. So I... Uh uh, of course, because, you know, universal design was a completely uh, new idea in uh, India. So I started with uh, my own, uh, you know, research about universal design connected to, uh, you know, the world's best practices and experts from across the country. Uh, I built my own body of knowledge, uh, you know, started um, uh, learning. And then gradually I thought that there was not enough time so I should just start teaching so that I reinforce what I learned through the, you know, the knowledge sharing that I do with my students Uh, so I started in my institute Uh, uh, from a small elective it gradually grew into uh, you know uh, uh, integral part of the design process in each and every studio then uh, I realized that you know the biggest experts for learning about uh, you know the needs of people with disabilities are the p- users themselves. So I started bringing the users into my studios they became the experts so they became the reviewers and critiques for our design studios so uh, we would either go to them or they would come into the uh, architecture institute and there was a participatory approach that was used where my students were interacting with the user groups with diverse ty- kinds of disabilities, hearing from them how their design is working for them, not working for them, and then going back and improving it, and then again getting a review.
1: And this is where Kavita took it to the next level.
4: My institute slowly, uh, you know, kind of uh, got this uh, value built in, you know, uh, and then when then I thought that uh, I needed to move out of the institute also, and I established a universal design center so that, uh, you know, this knowledge sharing can be... Uh, uh, extended across my university, uh, not just limited to my city, but to other cities also, to other states from the country. I connected to other institutes, other universities across the country, and uh, offered them, you know, uh, small programs right from electives to workshops to you know lectures. Uh, so that at least you know uh, I mean uh, if they had limited time or limited uh, kind of uh, uh, resources at least a sensitization program could be done and once the sensitization program is done then I was confident that they would come back you know to uh, have a more intense training technical training program so that's how uh, I reached out to architecture institutes across the country then uh, we looked at the public sector as well as the private sector and the professionals so the professionals also so you know uh, we're curious about this, and uh, since we were doing a lot of awareness and advocacy, we got uh, uh, you know very good support from the professional organizations who came up and you know uh, wanted to learn more about universal design and accessibility and how they could improve their own practice and make it inclusive.
1: Kavita's work was getting a lot of attention.
4: So uh, the government approached us, and uh, you know we started training uh, p- public works department engineers you know including civil engineers architects uh, even the top uh, decision makers so that they are oriented to, you know, how accessibility in the built environment can actually, uh, you know, make a sea difference in, uh, you know, achieving uh, independence for people with disabilities and making them a part of the mainstream. So it's been a wonderful uh, kind of a journey right from starting with, you know, one student to now kind of reaching out to uh, across the country, you know, north, south, east, west, and collaborating with a lot of organizations. Organizations, professional bodies, government uh, offices—you know—to uh, train, to uh, uh, create awareness, and also to, uh, I mean, uh, do accessibility audits uh, and give access consultancy wherever uh, you know uh, retrofitting is required. Yeah
1: i asked kavita what she was hoping to achieve at the conference
4: i definitely uh, am looking at uh, zero project as a platform to collaborate uh, you know uh, with uh, uh, like minded organizations individuals uh, who uh, would like to uh, you know work in the same space in terms of uh, spreading knowledge about and awareness and expertise about universal design and accessibility uh, maybe you know uh, have collaborative uh, Uh, work uh, across the country can actually help to uh, get to know more of best practices, something that we have done and we have learned from, something that others have done and learned from, and then probably getting together and, uh, you know, kind of removing the barriers uh, that uh, separate nationalities, I would say.
1: That was Kavita Murugar of the Universal Design Center at BNCA University in India. The Universal Design Center is one of over 80 organizations which received awards at the Zero Projects 2020 conference in Vienna. The theme of the conference was education. Join us again next time for more interviews of 2020 awardees. Podcasts are available at your favorite podcast distributor. Just look for AMI-audio live. You can learn more about Zero Project at zeroproject.org. Thanks to Sam Robinson and Paula Denine for their technical support. My name is Andy Frank.
0: This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.